Hi, I'm Roxanne Serta, and I'm the Acquisitions Editor for CNT Publishing. I've been acquiring books for nearly 20 years, and the past seven of those have been here at CNT. Through my job, I get the privilege of meeting countless designers, authors, and industry professionals who all do amazing things with their creativity. I'll be bringing some of those quilting and stitching personalities to this podcast to share their amazing stories and insider information. Download the latest episodes and get to know great crafters, learn the backstories behind events and people, and hear funny stories from people living the crafty life. And I'm here today with Paula Nadelstern at Fall Quilt Market in Houston, Texas. So Paula is an artist, an art quilter, instructor, fabric designer, and an author. So Paula, thank you for stopping by for a bit to take, you know, to talk quilting and art with me. Thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. Well, and so how long have you been quilting? I made my first quilt in 1969 in my college dorm. I, I t- brought all my, um, I brought fabrics and my featherweight that my aunt had bought me when I was 16. She paid $25 for this featherweight, and I made my first, like, 20 or so quilts with it. Um, and I took my fabrics and my um, featherweight to State University of New York at Old Westbury, a hippie college, and I ripped the, the fabrics up into 10-inch squares and sewed them back together and, and called it a quilt. <laughs> so my first quilt was 69. Nice. Well, and so what... What led you to quilting? Like, why in college did you just say, like, I want to make a quilt? Well, because, you know, 68, 69 was that era when the culture was to do lots of crafts. I had done everything. I'd done macrame. I um, did a lot of crochet. But I just kept coming back to fabric. I didn't sew very well. And the reason I had the featherweight is because my mom and her sisters, my mom, who was a lovely woman, but you're never going to meet her, so I can tell you that she was a home economics teacher who didn't sew very well or cook very well. (laughs) And she, um, and they would buy secondhand machines. I'm not going to tell you the name brand, but they, I grew up thinking that sewing meant you'd sew a few inches, you bobbin would jam, you'd fix your bobbin, you'd sew a few inches, you bobbin would jam, you'd fix it. And I just thought, I am not that good at this. However, I love the fabric. And so I kept coming back to it. And that's when the aunt, the matriarch aunt, had the featherweight and gave it to me that um, I, I could... I could really sew. And I have a very, very long story about how I once, I turned my Bernina into a, um, a featherweight like 20 years later that I will someday write in my book, Famous Quilters I Have Slept With, which will be my story about, you know, being on the road, the unexpected career and stuff. And it's, it's about how, why, why I was able to sew with that featherweight and not, um, and not the, um, and not the other machines, uh, the nameless ones that I will not mention the brand. Will not say bad things about it. <laughs> all right, we'll wait for the expose That's reveal right. all book, right? Um, well, and how how has being a lifelong resident of New York City affected your quilting? Because I mean, space has to be at least a concern. It is. I'm sure there are other things that have really kind of come out in your quilting. Well, originally, I mean, I I really think that. Um, because I had such limited space, I worked on the kitchen table when we had, you know, a, a family with a young daughter. Um, and I think the same way that that pioneer women had such limited space, and they created the squares to work with and put them the squares together. Um, I my limited space is similar to them, except I worked in a triangle. I, you know, and I just I mean that was a coincidence, but I think it just completely worked for me to 
work in a triangle and then see what happens when the whole triangle goes together. Because if I knew what it was going to look like, I wouldn't want to do it. So it fits my personality to have that um, that last minute, that aha, you know, until the last seam is sewn, you just really don't know what a kaleidoscope is going to do. And, and it doesn't follow traditional color theory. You know, what's going to pop out is not necessarily the brighter. What's going to recede is not necessarily the darker. So um, that... that works for me. So that part, um, my limited space, I would say that as I'm getting older, the limited space is becoming an issue again, because in order to roll my quilts or do anything, I have to get down on the floor. That's hard. I've had two, um, I guess about eight foot by 18 or 24 inch units built that are in my living room. And they have a door, uh, they're cabinets, and each has a door on each of the two ends. And I roll my quilts and then put them through those um, cabinets, and one of them is under the TV, and the other one is on a catty corner wall that pushes the, the, the sofa, the couch, like a, you know 24 inches into the room. And, um, but in order for me to pull out a quilt, I have to go through on fine space, <laughs> big enough to unroll them all, and just in terms of storing fabric, and because I've, I've just, this is my 21st year designing fabric with Benetech, so I have a lot of stash, and it's getting, <laughs> it's getting harder. My quilts are taking longer. Yeah, I can only imagine. I hadn't thought of the pioneer angle, though, but that's a very good point that people I, didn't always have a lot of space no, to do this. I really do think it's the signature style of American patchwork to work in squares while, you know, the English and um, were able to have large units of fabric, I mean, that they were able, you know, to, to work on. Plus, um, I mean, even going back to co the colonies, they weren't allowed to weave. So, I mean, again, they were just putting together little little bits of fabric in order to create that square that then they could put together into a bigger piece. And it wasn't until years later that they came up with pattern naming and that kind of thing. So kaleidoscopes also work for me because when it comes to fabric, I want it all. I want it now. I want it this minute. I want it in the same piece. And it, and the, the the sort of a chaos that has to go on in each single triangle that'll make it more kaleidoscopic looking as the eye bounces to see what's wrong oh i see it i see it i see it as it moves around while it's not a you know a star is more organized it's not a star it's a kaleidoscope so that works for me too yeah well and i one thing that's notable about your work is that it's almost always at least from what i've seen it's almost always done in a series like well i'm working on i'm working in a, on what I've called the kaleidoscopic series from. So I'm working on the 43rd in the series. And I've numbered them, um, you know, from one to this. At the same time, I sometimes work, like, for, I do samples for the new fabric collections, and that's not part of the series. But um, I do, in, now, some of the kaleidoscope, if you go to my website and you go to gallery, you'll wonder why I call some of those kaleidoscopic. But they're all made with that same underlying technique of um, you know the structure the way that I sew and the fact that I'm still working in triangles even if at the very end the piece doesn't you don't see the triangles I think what's really different about the way <laughs> that I use fabric and a more traditional quilt is um, when you when I um, I'm camouflaging the seams so the eye does not see the patches so when I come to the to the seam I think to myself, do I want the eye to stop here? Because the eye is going to stop at the position of highest contrast. So do I want the eye to stop here? I'd want it to go across and not see the seams. And so my patches might not be attractive, but the fabric that's sitting on the patches that I'm trying to all come together and look at all at once in a big kaleidoscopic image, that I think is very cool. Yeah. So I 
I think I mentioned to you, I not, don't have an art background. I was originally an occupational therapist with a master's in psych. <laughs> and so I, um, I didn't know that working in a series <coughs> was such a gift. And it really was. I actually thought it was the wrong thing to do. I thought I should be a dabbler who made one of every single, you know, in the early 70s, one of every single kind of quilt. And then when I came to, you know, found the kaleidoscope, I kept thinking, oh, I have to stop. <laughs> I have to go back and be a dabbler. But I, it just kept calling me. And so the idea that I've worked in a series um, has really been a gift to uh, move from element to element. If somebody ever asks me, and they do, as they do all quilters, if someone says, like, how long did it take? Mm-hmm. You know, my nasty little brat answer is my whole life. Because, you know, when you work in a series, the questions you ask yourself get more complex, but your answers get simpler. So that um, so that it's the fact, you know, like, number 25 quilt, I sort of came, had an idea that I didn't have the day before, and it's now part of my arsenal of my strategy. And I keep taking that idea to the next quilt, and then... You know, so how could I possibly have made number 42 without all the quilts that went before it? So it took my whole life. (laughs) Of course it did. Well, and so do you think that working in a series is something that can benefit, like, your average quilter? I think the great thing about quilting in this year is that there's something for everybody. And you should do what you like to do. And I really mean that. I mean, and that's, you know, if you like... You should just find what you like to do. And if you like doing a lot of different things, do a lot of different things. You know, I don't think there is, um, you know, doing working. I think your signature style might might eventually come out anyway. You know, you might find that thing. But don't um, don't obsess about it that, oh, I don't know what is my, my thing. I mean, I certainly didn't know what was my thing until um, sort of, sort of found, it found me and I found it. But, um, you know, so I think there, there's, I love you know, years ago, I'd be teaching in a class, and um, I'd say something like, oh, and if you don't like the way it all comes together over here, you know, take out your black permanent marker and just color it in. And people would say, oh, that's cheating. Well, no one says that anymore. You know, it's like we finally have hit this period in quilting where, you know, nothing's cheating. I mean, if you really think that if, you know, pioneer woman Mary Jane, you know, had brought from the East a black permanent pen that the other ladies wouldn't have come over after church to borrow it, you know, and after they birthed the baby and cooked for 50 men, they would have shared all the little things that they had. So, you know, I, that's a real change, I think, that um, we just don't, I don't judge each other so much. I mean, certainly there's some, some people do that, but I'm not into that part. And would I say that it's good to work in a series? I say it's good to do what you like to do, what you just find in your heart and then you'll find your way gotcha well and so what what do you think it is about the geometric concept of the kaleidoscope that is so intriguing to you like what keeps you keep coming back over and over and over so there's something about it that just works for you well it's it is still um an easy way for me to fit it all together you know, I mean, a kaleidoscope functions like a circle. A circle has 360 degrees in it. I'm really crappy at math, so I don't think I'm good at it. But I know that. And so um, I, I'm, well, I'm figuring out more ways to play with that 360 degrees. Like um, I have a whole class called 6030s where not all, each of the blocks is the same. And I, So um, I think it's partly, I don't know. I mean, but it still does work for me. It is the way my brain works. I was just at a kaleidoscope, not quite a convention, but um, in Jerome, Arizona, uh, 
where like 10 or 15 kaleidoscope makers taught classes to other people who want to learn how to do kaleidoscopes. And there's a Japanese kaleidoscope that it ju I just keep coming to, and I've, I've got an idea from it. It's a different mirror system. And so um, um, I'm just excited to try to figure out actually what, what that is. I don't, um, works for me. <laughs> I don't know. Well, there you go. Um, well, and you've been designing fabric for a good number of years. I think you said, what, 21? Well, this year, 21. Last 21. year, Benertex did a, um, a celebration, an anniversary of 20. And so this year, I have three collections here that I really love. Um, they One of them is called Where in the World, and it's kind of an homage to all this unexpected career, you know, that was uncharted and, you know, the fact that it's taking, you know, I'm a New Yorker and probably I would have by now have gone to LA and Chicago, you know, like, but instead I've taught in um, all but two states. I will let everyone know I have not taught in Mississippi or West Virginia, but I've taught in all the others. And I've taught in lots of countries, Abu Dhabi and Japan and Spain, going back to Germany, so a lot of places. And I took a group of quilters on a cruise through Indonesia where we were buying um, jelly rolls for like 5 to $7, which was pretty wonderful, <laughs> and Bangkok. So that's actually what the new collection is about, like um, one fabric references Bangkok and one references Rio and I love it and I really um, I'm, I'm, I'm really it's very bright it's in three colorways um, soon you'll be able to see it up on my website I'll probably be doing a one week online shop um, probably around November 10th but you can look on my it's the only time I sell for my you cannot sell otherwise because it's just too much to do from New York City so for one week my friends help <laughs> and um, I um I really like that collection. And then I have another collection, which is um, so exciting because in some ways it is a, um, you know, thanks to C&T, um, because I, I've done these kaleidoscope panels that are really great. There's lots of things you can do with them. And then I realized I had done I want, um, a snowflake quilt back in the 90s, and then we did a book with C&T with some of the patterns that's still called Snowflakes and Quilts. It's still available as a print-on-demand and a, um, an e-book. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and when I asked um, C&T, they, they helped me. See, that book was, was done such a long time ago. The photography was done by something called a camera. I mean, it was, like, <laughs> it was on film. It was on film. That's what I mean yeah. to say, you know. And so I didn't even realize that. So that they, you know, someone at C&T had spent time and helped me get those into like a digital form, into TIFFs, which we're then able to send to um, the Korean um, the Korean mill, and then I color it, and then afterwards. Mm -hmm. So now I've got fabric, I've got a whole panel of these kaleidoscope, of these snowflakes called Artful Snowflake. And well, I when love you, it. When you pulled the quilt out, like it, just so, you know, I, the quilt is right here. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you pulled the quilt out, I thought you had made the quilt with your fabric. But no. it's all pieced. This this whole thing is pieced, and they're all, pieced. like, perfect. How do you get them? Uh, you take your you know, class, first right? All, <laughs> first of all, they're not perfect. I'm really not a perfect piece, so I'm just aware of the fact. I don't sew that well. I'm just aware of the fact that the eye is going to just wants to, doesn't want to see chaos. It wants to see these pieces. If the center is not perfect, it's like, you know, if someone's going to look over here and say, oh, look, the center is not perfect, I kind of think to myself, get a life. But besides that, snowflakes are not perfect. They're having mm -hmm. a really difficult life, floating down, you know, changing, melting, that kind of thing. And then, and I poured over the, um, 
the, the snowflake photographs of W.A. Bentley, who mm-hmm. he is the reason that you and I, different ages, born in different places, know that no two snowflakes are alike. Because in the late 1800s, he grew up on a farm in Vermont, and his he loved to take to draw pictures of um, of spider webs and all sorts of things like that, little details, and loved wanted to take draw pictures of snowflakes. And his mom, who homeschooled him, bought him a camera. A, micro, a camera with a microscope in it. And he spent the next, you know, he, he passed away in a snowstorm taking photographs at the age of 60. He never oh, married. No. But he lived on his family's farm. And in the meantime, he left us like 3,000 snowflake images <coughs> that um, are in the public domain. That Dover did a whole book. And I used to like just pour over these. So where my, where my kaleidoscopes, I have like no idea what they're going to look like. I'm constantly just auditioning new fabric to stick there and what fabric will work there. And there's like 10 choices and stuff. Snowflakes, I kind of draw out first. And mm-hmm. um, I really want them to look like snowflakes. I'm not making them pink or yellow or anything like that. I'm making what I think are icy colors. So when I look at these, it's fun because um, I would say maybe 10 of them are a fabric collection of mine. But... Um, but a lot of them, you know, there's there's mm-hmm. Piedra, there's Liberty over there, there's some Batik. There's most of these are not my fabrics. Well, and I'm looking and at the it background too. fabric is that really old fabric that many quilts are gonna know, fossil fern by Pat. Okay, yeah, yeah. I know that one. Well it's really funny because too, I'm looking at these close up and of course people can't see this while we're talking about it, which is kinda rude. But um <laughs> They're butterflies. Yes, that's, that's what's my part favorite. of that is a butterfly. But part of the these shapes. snowflakes. The original is a butterfly, right? Because, because really, I mean, the snowflake and these things I learned from studying snowflakes. They're the coldest in the center, where they're the most perfect, and then as it comes out on these dendrites, these these arms, it's different structure than a kaleidoscope. Because kaleidoscopes really develop down the middle, while the snowflakes are growing out of the icicles. You know, because of the not geometry, but the chemistry of mm-hmm. a snowflake, they're cold on the outside, and that's where they're growing, and that's where they have these other little pieces that are not perfectly shaped. So I kind of try to soften the edges and use fabric that sits against, that feels white and silvery, but sits against a dark fabric so that the dark goes into my background. And the, um, and I describe all this in the in that book. Mm-hmm. And you know, you'll see lots of choices of, of the fabric. So this has been kind of a fun, re, uh, you know, Reacquainting myself with this quilt, thanks to doing that. Oh, yeah, this fabric yeah. I bought, the backing fabric, I realized it was one of the most expensive pieces of fabric I ever bought in the garment district, but I had to have it. It's just this gorgeous fabric. That is pretty. Well, and so now people can go get the fabric with the snowflakes mm-hmm. on it, and they can have fun working with that. And then if they really get inspired, they can get the book and make right. we have their a couple own of other fabrics. Right, there are a couple of other fabrics, plus you can collect, you know, fabrics and you um, and you can do that it's a little bit tedious to do the snowflakes because to really get that sense of um of the snowflake against the dark blue you really have a lot of patching to do but i've i've met a lot of people who have who have done it and who've loved to do it um but you can also play with the idea of cutting out the snowflakes from the panel and just doing a really nice border against it or putting it up against the background yeah that that would be fun well and so these these two collections that you've got coming out, or two of the three collections right. that you've got coming out, are actually based on previous work and photographs of your work. But do you normally start as illustrations, or do you start as photographs? Like, how do you how do you start the artwork that becomes your fabric? Um, every it's all lots of different ways. I'm not the person who's putting the um, the image up on the computer. I'm the person who's coloring it. Once we have decided what we're doing then I come in I live in New York so it's I get on the subway I go with everybody else like I'm going to work you know 
Um, and um, I like working in the Benetech studio because it's interesting to me because I've worked on oh, my own right. for it's so many years. that's right. It's local for you. I it's local. That. So I'm there for yeah. like two months. I mean, working, collaborating with one wonderful um, cat artist. And um, and so together we – I sometimes we take – Sometimes we take older stuff and I collage it the way I collage um, my fabric, you know, my quilts, and I just come up with like new ideas. Like um, last year's collection had some wonderful fabric from um, that I made a quilt called uh, the um, Frog Spanish Synagogue Ceiling, which is actually in downstairs in the showroom. Okay. And um, that one. Um, as I piece together in Prague, if you ever get a chance to go, that synagogue is like filled with pattern, bumping into pattern. That's a, something I'm really interested in is, is just lots and lots of pattern. Like these older quilts, even the snowflakes sit against a dark background. But I don't do that as much anymore. I have a background that is as intricate or as crazy as and important as, as the foreground. And in that one, there is no background. It's just these great patterns. And um, when I put it together, I realized this whole unit here of about 15 of my old fabrics would look great as a fabric. And we were able to just, you know, scan that in. And it needs to be outlined because um, in order for my fabrics to be as bright as they are, um, they can't, they have to fit together. And the fit is because there's an outline, a thin black outline. You know, right now we're at such a turning point with fabric mm -hmm. because so many companies are going to go to digital printing and in um, Pakistan and places, that fabric is just layered on top, printed digitally, and you don't, you can use as many colors as you want, just layering on top of each other. My fabric, 18 screens, I have to stay within that, I have to stay within some other parameters, but it's brighter and more intense. When it comes, when, when you print the fabric, you know, I can't put, I can never have red meet green, because right there you'll see sort of a brown where they come together. Mm -hmm. And although I like an extra color, I'd like brown, in, on paper, it looks great. In fabric, it dulls it down. Mm -hmm. And so um, I've kind of given into that idea of, you know, kind of outline. So a lot of the new fabric that um, in the collection called Where in the World, everything's been outlined. And again, I don't have to do that. There's somebody who goes in, who spends time, gets paid by the hour, not me, you know, or whatever. There's a lot of little outlines. There's just a in lot case, of if, if you haven't seen it, go look at her fabric and you'll see what we mean when okay. you say a lot of outlines. You know, go open it up. And, um, so I have a fabric that's called Rio and a fabric that's called Hawaii that looks like snow, that looks like sunsets or jungles or, you know, I something called Belize, which looks a little bit like under the wa underwater, although now I wish I'd called it champagne because it's bubbles. Mm -hmm. I have a fabric called, um, this is Bangkok, which are those very iconic shapes from Bangkok, where I was, and then Bali, which I, I really love because I love an e-cat, and it feels a little bit like there's a real play of background and foreground, and the, um, the background is an e-cat, and then the foreground is some of these iconic image, images that you see on a lot of men's um, clothing. So, I'm pleased. Yeah. No, it's very fun. Oh. And so for me, it's really fun. People ask whether, you know, do I design the fabric in order to make a specific quilt or something like that? No, I wait. When it's all done, like now, then it's my time to sort of see what it will reveal, what I can make out of it. And again, if anyone's at Quilt Market, we have about 11 quilts downstairs, 36-inch Simple Quilts Complex Fabric, because once again, I did that book with C&T, Fabric Adabra, Simple Quilts Complex Fabric, and some of, um, and so we're still playing with that. So some of them, you know, there's, they, I love when the fabric, as much as I love to create the complexity in the, my quilts, I also really love uh, a simple pattern that when you cut up complex fabric, creates some great patchwork. Yeah. 
Well, and I also noticed when I was getting ready for this um, that you have some art prints for sale on your website. Yeah, a little less going on with that. My printer is not as good, I have to say. My, the person I sent it, I didn't print it myself. But those were um, from my exhibit at the American Folk Art Museum in 2009, and they are the images that we've used in the um, fabric, in the, in the panel for Where in the World. We oh, use okay. those. Yeah, Are those have really familiar? had a great life. They've had a great life because C and T did some circular um, uh, note cards. We did an umbrella. We've used th- those. Have been used quite a bit. So those aren't the origins of the fabric design. Those are actually kind of an offshoot of other work you've done. Yeah, that was comp- multi, very, very patched together. And then again, uh, being able to like, you know, it's like that's one of the things about working in a series, or, or just in general, I guess, for an artist, it's like. Um, when you if you you think that all of a sudden you have an epiphany of some kind, but you don't really. It's like you've been mulling this idea over, you know, over a while, and then all of a sudden, you know, who knows where you are in the shower or just you know walking down the street, you, you get this idea, and it was that idea. This can you know we can send a tiff. We could make fabric out of these images. So I mean, this I'm trying to think of other examples of um, you know what's become fabric. I mean, just just constantly. I mean, I'll see a a photo of water and and just makes me want but want to play with it. But the idea is I'm gonna mirror image it and I'm gonna mirror image it. And a mirror image you know, like keep folding it and folding it and, and, and folding it so that um it's nothing like what it originally looks like. You know? Yeah. Well and so it's it's getting us a little bit off not off track, but um I wanted to bring it up because I thought it was very interesting. Before Today's talk, you had shared a phrase with me, semper tedium. What is that? So um, I have some very clever New York friends, and one of them, um, that's a phrase that she came up with, you know, sort of a fake Latin term. And um, it means, to me, it means always the hardest, you know, always. um, And that's how I feel. Like, there were four of us who... um, who have worked together in the summer for about 12, 14 years at a house that I inherited on the North Fork of Long Island. And since we're all New Yorkers and live in small spaces, we don't get to have these retreats. And my mother was alive at the time, and I started bringing everyone out, and she loved it. And we then decided to um, to have a little a tra- a traveling exhibit called Sempertiti, and we even have a little manifesto of, you know, um, and the idea is that each one of us works in our signature style but we all work we all make quilts that take a really long time and we're all really aware of the fact that people are always asking us like how long it did it take or my you must have so much patience and you sort of wonder like what's the correct answer would you will you will you think i'm more amazing if i say yes it took a really long time or are you going to think gee you're dumb because you can figure it out faster or if i say that you know i did it really fast i mean then you think you know and, and and the idea of patience really annoys me because it makes, you know, people will think kind of, uh, I think. So you think that if you had patience, that's the difference between you and me? Like, you could make this if you have patience, but I'm the one with patience, which I think is a little bit of a, what you might say to a, a female, you know, more than, you know, look at, <laughs> you know, um, a Rembrandt or, or, you know, somebody up on the scaffolding in a church for years thinking, oh, he has so much patience, not the first thing that comes to mm-hmm. your mind, but um, so truthfully, I don't have patience, <laughs> but um, I am aware. And now, if I'm speaking to another artist, I'm also curious about how long did it take and what did you do and process. I love process, but I'm careful when I ask somebody that question. 
Mm -hmm. But my quilts are taking a year or two now, like the ones in my kaleidoscope series, because mostly I'm working on them in July, August when I don't teach. Gotcha. Well, and what do you, do you think that that being part of that group and having that group dynamic and these other people, these artists who Mm kind of understand that perspective, do you think that's had an impact on your own work? Well, not only, um, so that's my four very close friends, um, and, uh, and that's our Sempertidium group, and yes. But the other thing is, I've been a member of the Manhattan Quilters. We are having our, in 2020, we are celebrating our 40th anniversary, and we will be having exhibits. We, we just, two nights ago, all brought our signature quilt to show each other, and the exhibit is called 40 by 40 at 40. And um, not everyone's been in the Guild for 40 years, um, we have new people, but you jury into it. There's only about 22 of us. We hope the, the exhibit might be here next year in Houston, so hoping for that. Um, but there's no question that being in that group, you know, um, you know, explaining things, pro- talking about process, getting critique, critiquing others, just seeing the seriousness of this group of, of makers, I mean, it's definitely made me more of a maker and how important that part is. I... Um, I had to go through I had to go through radiation treatment to my head, and when you do that, you have um, a mask that uh, that they make just very very tight to your face and bolts you to the table, and it's a very awful experience, very claustrophobic and very unpleasant. And I took that mask when the experience was over, um, because it was like oh I want to curse and I would say oh you damn makers it's like you know it's because of you that I have to take this home instead of driving a car over it I just want to forget about this forever but I know you would just see this as a found object and you would make something great out of it you know a nest or something and so I brought it home and threw it in a closet and about five years later I was able to come back to it and um, with the help of a friend we covered it first and then I made, spent about a year making ornaments for my fabric beading the little kaleidoscopic ornaments, put them on ultra suede so they had some stability, and then used a paper uh, fusible and put them on. And, you know, it's got, it's now a she. It's part of my, it's like kaleidoscopic 40. I love it. It's won a kind of a funny award. And um, and I, I know that's because, that's because of sort of this, the voice of the makers, you know, like, mm-hmm. take it, it's found, you know, you'll do something. And I love that I did something. And I wouldn't have, that wouldn't have been me before the group. Yeah, that's great. Well, and you've told us about your two fabric collections. And the third is um, called Marbella, and it's 29 colorful all-overs. I never use solids. Twenty, um, they, You know, to juice your soul and your mm-hmm. creativity. So um, I think I've used it quite a bit in my the quilts I made for it. It's a fun collection. Yeah. Well, and what um, – so you've got that. There's maybe an exhibit coming up. Um, what else? So if, if people want, if people are hearing this and they want to see more of your work, where are you going to be? Like, what what's next for this year? We can always go to my itinerary. You can go to my website. You'll see the quilt, my gallery of quilts. You can see my fabric, and um, there's some um, there's some questions up that uh, from some blog that I'd answered. Um, you'll see where I will be exhibiting. Um, I just finished an exhibit at the Texas Quilt Museum, and that was very satisfying. And um, you can see, as I said, the itinerary. So most of the st- I'm not, I wish I was a better social media person, but it's not that intuitive to me. And I don't tend to take, <laughs> to stop what I'm, I always think, oh, that'd be a great thing to put up. And I don't stop to do it. 
So I, you know, forgive me for that. And and if you ever <laughs> want to get in touch with me, you can get in touch with me through my website. There's a contact, but not through, like, don't messenger me. I don't know how to do that. I don't know what that, you know, I don't want to be rude, mm-hmm. but I'm not. That gotcha. That. Well, and um, so we'll put we'll put a link to your website Great, up onto you. the description of the episode. So if you want to find it, uh, just look in the episode. But if people are just listening, what what is your website? PaulaNadelstern.com. Very intuitive. Yes, thank you. I, <laughs> I remember when I was, we were telling another CNT story, my very first one, um, my very first book for CNT, and I want you to know, I just sold that cover quilt like two weeks ago, wow. which really was a big surprise to me. And um, so, so I sold that, but that's not the story. Um, my qu- book was going to be called Kaleidoscope Quilts because um, I was in Paducah teaching and it was before cell phones, and somebody, people kept coming over and saying, CNT wants you to call them. Call them really quick. You've got to call them because, because it turns out there was a book called Kaleidoscope Quilts, and I had to come up with a new title like immediately, and I have a bad memory. So I, it's like I knew no one was going to remember Natal Stern, and nobody was going to remember spectacular quilts that swirl. I mean, whatever. I needed, knew it had to be Kaleidoscope. And there was a quilter librarian who said to me, that's what they're going to search on. It's got to say Kaleidoscopes. And I came up with Kaleidoscopes, Ambersand, Quilts. So Kaleidoscopes and Quilts. And that's become like the title of my business and stuff like that. But for about three or four days, I never called you know, C&T back. Cause they, <laughs> but people were constantly, they want you to call. You have to call. And I just kept trying to figure out like mm-hmm. what was going to be my title, and then all, and then it became kaleidoscopes and quilts. Back when you could disappear, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, you know what? Thank you so oh, much again pleasure. for Thanks. taking time. I know it's a busy, busy weekend, and I appreciate it. I Thank appreciate you for sitting me. down. All right. Thank you. Thank you. This is Roxanne Serta. Thanks for listening to Behind the Scenes. Want to know more about our outstanding group of authors and their books? Visit us online at CT Publishing on Instagram, Twitter, our CNT Publishing channel on YouTube, or on our website at ctpub.com.